Chapter 25 The Spirit of the Council What ambiguities and heterodox orientations could have been avoided if Vatican II had been a dogmatic council and not a so-called pastoral one? When we examine the successive drafts of the conciliar documents, we perceive the orientations they express. Let me take up some of these. To be sure, Lumen Gentium distinguishes between the common priesthood of the faithful and the ministerial priesthood of the priests. Number 10. Good. But then, the text comprises long pages that speak of the priesthood in general, confusing the two, or making the priesthood of the priests, one function among others, of the common priesthood. Number 11. Likewise, it is well said that man must submit himself to the law of God, Dignitatis Humanae, number 2. Then, the liberty of man is exalted with his personal conscience, number 3. It comes to the point of upholding the objection of conscience, in a manner so general that it is false. It states, Man must not be compelled to act against his conscience, now, this is true only of a true conscience or of an invincibly erroneous conscience. The result is a tendency to put conscience above the law and subjectivity above the objective order of things, whereas it is quite evident that conscience is created to conform itself to the law. In like manner, at all times, particularly in the Declaration on Religious Liberty, it is repeated that there must be no compulsion and no coercion, Gaudium et Spes, number 47, and Dignitatis Humanae, numbers 1, 2, 3, and 10. Liberty is defined as the absence of constraint. Now, it is indeed obvious that there is no society without the physical coercion of penalties or the moral coercion of the fear of penalties which the laws include. Otherwise, you have anarchy. Our Lord Jesus Christ is, to be sure, not the last one to resort to constraint. After all, what moral coercion is stronger than declared in this sentence, He who does not believe will be condemned. Mark 16.16 16. The thought of hell is heavy on consciences. This is a good, and it is coercion. Therefore, there are very certainly some good and salutary coercions. Furthermore, there is no distinction in dignitatis humanae among the religious acts exempt from coercion on the part of the state. We would have to distinguish the internal and external, the private and public acts, and not to universally attribute the same liberty. In a Catholic country, one is well entitled to prevent the false forms of worship from being publicly displayed in order to limit their propaganda. If the state truly does not have the right to intervene in religious matters, then parents no longer have the right to pass on to their children and to impose upon them a religion either. It results in the absurd if liberty in religious matters is generalized without any distinction. 
If one asserts that every religion is a path towards God, or that the state is not qualified to pass judgment on the truth of such and such a religion, he is saying nonsense that borders on the heresy that is called indifferentism. Indifferentism of the individual or indifferentism of the state with regard to the true religion. Indeed, that the Council exhibits this indifferentism or a tendency in this direction is undeniable. By exalting the individual conscience, the spiritual values, and the value for salvation of the other religions, as stated in Nostre Aetate No. 2, Unitatis Redintegratio No. 3, and Dignitatis Humanae No. 4, it supports individual indifferentism. By uttering unheard-of absurdities, as Bishop de Smet did, about the incompetence of the state to judge of religious truth and to recognize definitively the true God, the liberals propagate the indifferentism of the state, the atheism of the state. The fruits of this spirit and of these pernicious doctrines are there. No longer does anyone among Catholics still maintain that in Catholic countries the state must recognize the true religion, assist it by the laws, and in the same way prevent the false religions from propagating themselves. No longer does anyone do this. If, for example, Colombia in 1966 was a country that was still 95% Catholic, this is thanks to the state, which by its constitution prevented the propagation of the Protestant sects, an invaluable help to the Catholic Church. By protecting the faith of the citizens, these laws and these heads of state will have contributed to leading to heaven millions of individuals who will have eternal life thanks to these laws and would not have had it without them. But now in Colombia, all of this is ended. This fundamental law has been suppressed at the request of the Vatican in application of the religious liberty of Vatican II. Thus, right now the sects are multiplying rapidly. These poor, simple people are disarmed in the face of the propaganda of Protestant sects spoiled with money and means, who come again and again unceasingly to indoctrinate the illiterate. I am not making this up. Is it not a true oppression of consciences, something that is Protestant and Masonic? That is where the so-called religious liberty of the Council finds itself today. Read Chapter 5 of Gaudium et Spes on International Relations, International Organizations, of Peace and War. You will find there practically no reference to our Lord Jesus Christ. Can the world be organized without our Lord Jesus Christ? Can the world have peace without the Princeps Pacis, the Prince of Peace? This is impossible. Now the world is plunged into war and subversion, particularly because it is plunged into sin. Therefore, it must be given the grace of Jesus Christ. It must be converted to our Lord. He is the only solution to the problem of peace in the world. And without Him, one speaks into a void. It was Bishop Hauptmann, rector of the Catholic Institute of Paris, who presided over the commission that drew up Gaudium et Spes. This commission met with Protestants in Switzerland 
having as its objective that this chapter could have an effect on international society. How does one expect this to be supernatural or truly marked with the sign of our Lord Jesus Christ? I will limit my enumeration of the errors to these. I do not say that everything is bad in this council, that there are not some fine texts to meditate on. Contrarily, I assert with the evidence in my hands that there are some documents that are dangerous and even erroneous, which show liberal tendencies and modernist tendencies, which afterwards inspired the reforms that are now bringing the church down to the ground.